Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Trevor Strunk, Kegelbot on Twitter, and I have with me um, Ian Mooney, who is a uh, an MA student. Uh, am I getting that right? Right. Are you making the terrible life decision of getting your PhD afterwards? I 100% am committed to this terrible life choice. Can I really just encourage you not to do that? Did, you may. Please don't. Um, <laughs> that's that's all I got. But um, you know, if you do, I'm sure you'll do great. Because um, Ian is here to talk to us today, uh, take it in an academic, um, an academic direction. I'm actually going to let you introduce it, but I wanted to introduce you. You are on Twitter at the Shiz, uh, the Shizian, T H uh, E S H I Z I A N. You are at WashU, getting your MA. You are a uh, a smart and uh, an incisive person, and uh, you're here to talk with me unexpectedly about video games. Yeah. Uh, well, then I will introduce myself. Uh, well, okay. Um, I've listened to your podcast for a little while now. Um, yeah, well, um, I, uh, I don't study, uh, video games, but I did my, uh, I do Arabic literature, uh, but I did my bachelor's in philosophy. Uh, and of course I myself am a gamer and, uh, I've always been interested in how gaming, um, as interactive media, um, figures differently in terms of aesthetics and like how we engage with it as like, um, a, a political entity or an ideological entity. Sure. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, very reasonable and, uh, and relatable concern. Yeah, say. nothing, nothing groundbreaking there. But um, I remember, but the reason that I wanted to talk to you has its roots in a conversation I had uh, with a, a grad student where I did my bachelor's years ago at a philosophy club meeting I attended. Okay. And uh, uh, I was the co-chair of the club. And uh, we brought this grad student in because he was doing uh, philosophy and video games. And I was really interested in this project. I was like, wow, what's this guy got to say? And so we brought him in to like explain uh, what his idea was and hopefully to stimulate his, his, some discussion. And he came in and he was like, well, you know, video games have really cool stories. And, you know, I like to think of like how they play out. 
uh, for example, uh, I just finished like uh, one one game that I'm writing on that I just finished. This was a while ago. Is um, Braid? You've played it? Yeah, I played Braid, the Jonathan Blow game. Yeah. Yeah. he's like it's brilliant it's filled with like these Uh, allegories and you know what is what is it a metaphor for something and i was listening to him and my heart sank i was like this sucks braid's a terrible game and i like it when i played it but now that i i I feel like i feel like i wouldn't be able to judge it properly because a lot of what i think about it now is uh, informed by what i think about jonathan blow (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you basically got the the introduction um, that uh, the introduction that I think a lot of well-meaning and smart people get when they start thinking about video games in the academy, which is everyone who is thinking about video games in the academy is just kind of, I mean, not everyone, but far and away uh, uninteresting. I mean, the, the, the majority is that it, it's, it's a drag. It's really it's really a bummer. And that was my problem, was I was listening to this guy explain a game which for me is it perhaps commits the most fundamental uh, flaw of a video game, and that it has a gameplay element and a story element in Nary the Twain meet, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, that's a really good point. I've never really thought about that, uh, the, the fact that the, uh, the time travel bit uh, has no real story uh, purpose. I mean, I'm sure that we're going to get some comments on this episode about how wrong I am. Yeah, but, that's good, too. It's always, yeah. always nice to get comments. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to get into some Zizek later, and I'm sure that that will really flare up some people, too, about okay. how I misinterpreted Zizek. Depending on the Zizek, yeah. Yeah. But but um, I was listening to him, and I uh, the whole time I was like, wow, this guy has never played Bioshock. Clearly. Or he wouldn't be writing about something like Braid. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what is it about Bioshock that that makes that makes me feel like he should be talking about that instead? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's – right. And I think that it comes back to this question of, uh, of how, how do video games use interactivity uh, – to 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 be a part of the story, to to make the story happen, or to make the 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 gist of the medium happen, and I think that's something that Bioshock does, and I will explain. But first, I will ask you a question: Have you seen what uh, it's hot on the news? Bandersnatch. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I uh, people have been talking about Bandersnatch. I actually had it'll come out. I think it'll come out before this is is up, so people will have heard it, uh, maybe. But um. I talked with a, a longtime friend of mine, Malcolm Pierce, who uh, uh, Redbird Manus on Twitter, and he uh, he writes really interesting um, and produces and makes really interesting video games with his wife. Um, and, and he was like, you know, he's like, I wait this long to go on your show, and then Bandersnatch gets released, and it's exactly like what I should be talking about on your show. Like that was really frustrating. Um, yeah, people are really into Bandersnatch, dude. Like I've I have not watched it yet. My wife is not into. Uh, horror necessarily and definitely not into horror before bed which is the only time we watch tv anymore so uh, i'd have to do it on my own which uh always i don't know like watching tv by myself has always been a struggle for me you know i'm the same way it's funny uh because uh my girlfriend will be like well why don't we watch television together you play a lot of video games and for me it's like i don't feel like 
I can I can't just watch a sh- I can play a video game for hours, but I can't just like watch a show. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. No. I I totally agree. It's uh it's it's an odd thing, but it's it's yeah. I feel the same way. Well, I brought up. Well, then I I won't I won't beat the Bandersnatch horse too much. Oh, no, please. If you've already seen it, I, I'm I can follow. Got it. Into it. But um, so we watched it. So we watched it the other day. Uh, we watched it because um. Uh, so my girlfriend brought it up. She's like, well, have you heard about it? And I was like, well, of course I've heard about it. It's a, a television show. That's like a choose your own adventure thing. But my fear is that it's going to make the classic video game foible where it's like, so you've got these, uh, a, a choice narrative, like a choice driven narrative. But the problem with video games is that, uh, uh, you've often got a thing where it's like, okay, you can choose the good path or the bad path. And if you choose the bad path, the outcome is usually something like your character sucks and it's a bad ending. Go back and get the good ending. And that's like the real one to like tie up the narrative yeah. and finish the character arc. And I feel, I fear that Bandersnatch is going to do the same thing. It's going to be like, okay, you made the fuck up choice. We can swear, right? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. You made the fuck up choice. Go back and choose the right thing. In which case, why not just make it a normal television series? And then I don't have to like make these stupid choices. I can just watch it and get into it. Yeah. And from what I've heard, there is like, I mean, there's not, it's sort of, I guess, I guess the idea is it, um, it, plays with the idea of there not being a correct choice by it being sort of like, you can't make a perfect choice. Um, but I have heard that uh, it does sort of do the thing where it's like, okay, you picked the good choice, you got the good ending, or you got the bad ending. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, so yeah, exactly. And I, I was, I was casting aspersions upon it, and my girlfriend, wise as she is, was reminding me, like, well, you know, for one thing, I don't, I don't get into video games, so this is my opportunity to like do a choice thing. But also, you're going to be talking with this guy about Bioshock. And, like, if your whole point is, like, meta-narratives and choices, then, like, don't you think that you should, like, have a, a relative, a relevant recent example? And so we watched it. And uh, I won't spoil anything, but the moment where we turned it off, about, oh, like, no. 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, that, that, we turned, that's already a spoiler of sorts that it's not probably worth your time. We did not enjoy it, and I would not suggest it. But um, we turned it – so we had hit – we had hit like two or so dead end moments already where it's like, that's the wrong choice. Go back. But the moment where we turned it off was uh, there's a dialogue going on between uh, two primary characters. And one of them is like, oh, you don't get it, man. The universe, it, it like it has forces that make decisions for us. And and we don't get to play, you know, like no matter what happens, things will just reset and the right thing will happen watch and uh, one of us is going to jump off this bridge or this building and and everything will turn out fine no matter what we won't really die and so it's like this moment where you could almost think that something interesting was happening where the characters are like see it's a meta narrative your choices are pointless uh but then no matter what you choose the thing ends and it's like okay now go back and make the right choices oh that's so (laughs) what's the point you know just like play the show for me then yeah yeah. So yeah, it's annoying, and it makes me think 
uh, back to Bioshock. Uh, 2007. My probably what I would call a, a perfect game. A, a perfect game, not just because I think it's incredibly enjoyable. Uh, it, it, at the you know, uh, it's got an interesting setting, and and you know, it was unlike any anything I had ever seen before in a video game, just visually. Um, but and you've played it, right? Bioshock, the first one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't played any of the other ones, but I've played Bioshock. The first, yes. Okay. Well, I've heard that. I think it, just for how flawed it is as a game. But, well, we can talk about Infinite because I've got a lot of opinions on that one too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cool. But the but the thing about Bioshock for me is that so so the problem I had with the philosophy student in my undergrad and the problem I had with Bandersnatch was that it doesn't incorporate like the 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 interactivity into like a a what makes it special like i understand that bandersnatch is kind of playing with the choices thing but ultimately it's a linear narrative and so it, it i don't feel like it does a good job of like of make making the the choices or the non choices like uh uh, come out in the player experience, but I say the Bioshock does, and so why? So you remember that Bioshock has the like: do you kill the little girls or do you save the little girls? Yeah. Uh, which, no matter what you do, you still f- go through the same objectives and fight the same final boss. You just get a different end cutscene. So already, that's kind of like a little interesting layer of joke that it really it, it doesn't really have that big of an impact yeah, on the way that the story goes, you. right? But um, what I think makes makes it uh, accomplish what I think the interactive medium is supposed to do uh, is the mind control narrative. Okay, right. So yeah, so you would you kindly do such and such and such and such, and that's like the code word for the character in the game that, that activates his mind control. Yeah, it's he like has to do. Door. Yeah. Exactly. But but Bioshock incorporates the player into the mind control. So, like, uh, do you remember that in the game there's, like, an arrow at the top of the screen that'll, like, direct you to the next objective? Yes. Yeah. Not an uncommon feature in a video game. Yeah, uh, sort of like, not that Bioshock's open world necessarily, but it sort of plays around with a larger setting let's say yeah, yeah it's it's a little labyrinthian it's easy to get turned around so it's i keep it on it's a useful feature but uh i think that what that accomplishes is that it turns the player yourself into the agent of the mind control mm-hmm. you the player are enacting the mind so you are are playing the game Thinking that, okay, I've got to go to this area and I've got to do this thing. I'm going to go there. And, but in the same way that the, char- uh, the character thinks he's doing this, you are, you are forced to do it. You're subject to the same sorts of subliminal direction that the character is 
through the very nature of the game. And so at, at the moment of, of, uh, of reveal, when you find out that, that you've been under mind control, it turns the very like mode of gameplay into like this, this, um, that, that, that you, the player have been enacting the constraint upon him. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, it reminds me a little bit of the the interesting things like games like Metal Gear Solid do. Although the 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 difference between something like um, Psycho Mantis uh, doing like the you know put your controller on the table uh, that that sort of like famous move, um, the difference between that and, and Bioshock is of course that Bioshock takes it on as its entire narrative, whereas uh, Kojima, particularly in those early games, is playing with it as like a gimmick. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I would has I, I agree with you that it is sort of gimmicky, but I think that Kojima is another great example of somebody who uses the like the video game medium as a part of his narrative because oh, he does a lot of the same stuff in uh, in in two. Where uh, one thing that I remember is the fake end screen. I thought that was a great way of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like if I can, uh, if I can borrow a little bit from like Felix Biederman's uh, assessment of of uh, Metal Gear Solid Two, which he says is the game that predicted the like post nine eleven world, and I would agree. He's very, he's very, he's very big on on the on the prescient nature of uh, Metal Gear Solid Two. Well, you know, I think I think he's right, and I think that like uh, you know, so I remember him saying that like that the forced perspectives. Of, of the early Metal Gear games where you've got like a room that you get to see kind of add to that like that that sense of oppression. You know, it's kind of the same thing with like the fake, uh, you know, end game screens where it's like, oh, you know, like it it, 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 it triggers the like, ah, I lost. But you still are like, what? What's going on? Right. I, I think that's a yeah, marvelous. Yeah, right. Game. Like it, it is it is a kind of it's a. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Like it's, it's definitely a kind of, it's a moment where video games acknowledge that there are particular things associated with them, right? Where like, okay, if a player sees X, they're going to feel this way. Or if a player sees Y, they're going to feel this way and we can play with them in, in much the same way that like um, novels do, right? Like where like, um, I think like the, the, the example I always see used, and I think it's a good example because I'm a, I'm a big time Tristram Shandy apologist, um, which isn't the right word. I guess like evangelist is the right word. <laughs> no one, no one says it's bad, but no one really reads it um, because it's so old and long. Um, but one of the great things about Tristram Shandy is that there's a, it's one of the first books that has um, one of the first books that has a, uh, like a nonverbal sort of moment in it where like, there's just a picture drawn on the page for no, re- no good reason. Um, the picture's there just because the picture's there. It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing more important about it than like, he was like, oh, I can't really explain this. So here's what it looks like. And he draws you a map and it shows up in the book. And so like immediately since, since the novel wasn't a thing yet, but, um, you know, literature of course was, um, the reader is thinking like, oh, this isn't really, you don't draw pictures. Like in a poem, you don't draw a picture. You have to use the language to draw the picture. Um, but what Stern does is he just just draws it for you. And so immediately you're like, this this is totally screwed up my expectations of what written work what the written word looks like. Like this is really messing with me. Um, 
and that Kojima moment, as well as the the Would You Kindly moment, which I think is a really important moment for uh, modern gaming, uh, particularly like a lot of the narratives we get in modern gaming, um, is one of those moments where it's like, okay, we can definitely mess around with what people think about video games because they expect certain things at this point. Like there are tropes and there are genre functions and there are things that are in every video game. And if we kind of mess around with that, uh, we can definitely get an effect. We can, we can get some sort of effect out of our players. Uh, have you ever heard uh, of the author um, Jorge Luis Borges? Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, Garden of Forking Paths is one uh, that I always think of when I think of games like uh, Bioshock or uh, Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. And for the, for the listeners out there that aren't um, big readers of Argentinian literature, uh, the Garden of Forking Paths is about... Um, a, uh, a, a German spy, uh, I think he's a Japanese actually, but he's working for the Germans and he's in Britain during World War II and he knows the location of uh, the secret artillery encampment and he has to get out the message before he's arrested. And so uh, his plan is just to go and shoot somebody whose name is the name of the town where the artillery is placed. That's funny. But... Uh, but when he arrives, um, he the person who is selected to kill a- actually is a scholar of this book that his ancestor wrote. It's all about like there's no such thing as choices. All choices exist at once in reality, and they're all constantly like playing out at the same time. And so. I think that it's an interest. I think that um, that 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 it's like a three or four story page. I think that that little story encapsulates exactly what like Bandersnatch is trying to accomplish all at once. It's like you've got a piece of information. He wants to communicate the piece of information, but in the process, he discovers that perhaps the choices he was trying to make were not what he was trying to make, et cetera. cetera. Well, and there's like there's a I I think there's a very a very real claim to be made that a lot of like postmodern television is just trying to, or even prestige television in general is just trying to get at like what postmodern literature and particularly not postmodern literature in English, but um, you know, postmodern uh, magical realism. So you're talking about like Spanish speaking countries probably do this best, although um, you could make an argument for, for some European countries as well, but Borges and then, even if you want to get more contemporary, someone like <clears throat> Bolaño, like the the way that the 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 way that the real and the the fantastical are mixed in a profound way, like television and video. Well, actually, I'll hold off on video games, but television hasn't um, ever done better than than literature in this regard. Yeah, it's especially sort of like cynical in a way. I think to encounter it in Netflix because it's sort of like. Well, you know they're like logging and and metricizing all this data that I'm giving them. Like, what does it mean when I make a choice on the Netflix show? Like, am I actually informing some kind of algorithm? What's going on? Yeah, now they know what to tweet at you, right? Like now they know. <laughs> like it's 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 all very yeah. It's all very uh, you're right. Like it's it's kind of cynical and and grim. And it doesn't, it doesn't have any sort of verve to it because it's, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, so it's Black Mirror. Um, and Black Mirror wants me to feel some sort of like 
lesson about technology. That's what Black Mirror does. Um, insofar as like, I feel this lesson, um, Bandersnatch is going to have to make me feel alienated in some way, or like I'm powerless, so I can I can anticipate that. Like I haven't seen Bandersnatch, but I imagine this is what Bandersnatch is about. I mean, you're on, you're on it here, yeah. And, it, and it's not like it's not like I'm saying something that other people haven't. Like it's it's absolutely just like what. I don't know. That's what, um, that's what black mirror is. Like it's, it's, a, and, and there are some interesting black mirrors and not so interesting black mirrors, but like much like the twilight zone, it has its, um, it kind of has its wheelhouse. And unlike the twilight zone, um, now that it's like kind of on Netflix and, and trying to, you know, stay afloat and make money and stuff. Um, it's not necessarily like an ensemble piece. That's kind of challenging itself. It's definitely, I don't know. It seems like it's happy in its niche. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the Twilight Zone because, like, you, you also got to imagine, like, when it comes to a piece of art uh, with uh, the sorts of, like, um, with the with the clear message, like what Bioshock has or what um, Twilight Zone had, very, like, anti-Red Scare Mm-hmm. Very like a, like a pretty progressive show, all things considered. You know, it's like, what's the message of Bandersnatch that like video games will make you crazy, and if you go off your meds, then you can become a super genius? It's it's yeah. not. You know, like Bioshock was like literally made a video game that's like and I, I there's nothing redeemable in Ayn Rand right when the Tea Party was taking off. And now we've got Bandersnatch making a show set in the '80s about a guy who kills us, uh, <clears throat> who does some things. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert! Right, uh, you know, hanged by a video at this point, and I don't really care. It's fine. But it's just like, give me a break, you know? Like this yeah. is this is pretty lowbrow, even for a show that made hashtag bees. Yeah, I mean, like, but, I mean, the thing about hashtag bees, right? Like the that like that whole bit of course that's like that is lowbrow you're totally right but like that has the it has a narrative fulfillment where like you get the surprise ending like maybe you see it coming maybe you don't who knows but like the the that you know i unless i'm thinking of a different classic episode but like the idea is like oh you know like the bees go and kill anyone who voted on someone like you know who voted to kill someone right like oh okay like the idea is it's a it's it flips it right like and then you get to put yourself in the situation you get to think like oh would i have done that or did i see that coming or whatever like it is in many ways like an effective narrative which is not something that like oh hey like guess what uh technology is super messed up like that <laughs> you don't get the same thing when it's just that when like when there isn't the narrative uh upholding that position when it's just like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna tell a story about how messed up things are, um, instead of a story. And then we'll kind of get how messed up things are, you know, tossed in there as well. Well, speaking of messed up narratives, since you brought up, um, uh, Bioshock Infinite, we can leave out too, because who cares about that one? Apparently Uh, not. I mean, I've never really played it, but, uh, people don't seem to care one way or the other about it. Nah. Well, you know, it, uh, you know, I think it's a good example of like, uh, if I can get a little off topic here for a moment, I think it's easy, you know, it, uh, when we encounter media, 
do you remember the Futurama episode with the robot whose like job was to underestimate the middle the Midwest? I don't, but that's a very Futurama joke. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you know, I think in media there's often this idea that you just have to make like something lowbrow and stupid. And that way the rubes will like be able to just enjoy it. I think Bioshock is a great example that if you take out the meaning of something, then it doesn't really have legs to stand on. Yeah. And I mean, even uh, the sort of like interesting message there and, and lesson there is that it's not even that it suddenly is like the worst thing in the world or like, oh, geez, like everyone hates it. it, it what's worse is that no one cares. Right. 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 Uh, uh, but, but Bioshock Infinite. Uh, so I don't know that I would suggest that you check it out. Uh, because I mean, for one thing, it's dated. Um, but, uh, so uh, the, the, the central conflict is, uh, you've got a city in the sky this time versus city underwater. Uh, and instead of, um, Ayn Rand objectivism, it's like, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century American racism. Okay. Right. And so uh, the city is very much like caught up in this like turn of the century American greatness I- 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 imagery, and uh, and black people are still slaves essentially. Uh, and so it runs into a deep problem wherein uh, once conflict and dissension breaks out in the city. Uh, the the two primary characters pretty quickly are like, oh, well, there's violence on both sides, uh, which is bad and wrong, and it shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, especially since one of the slides is slaves. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't, you shouldn't say, like, well, you know, the slaves should have just voted differently. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's a bad example in, like, even even if you want to take the the sort of, like, kind of, like, centrist both sidesism seriously, doing it with slavery is a bad bad call it's an it's an, an incredibly poor taste which i think is a shame because it really hones in on what made bioshock great uh in the like identity crisis moment of it and i think takes it probably to an even better level mm-hmm. because the thing that makes uh infinite different is that you've got a character with a voice and an identity from the get-go you're uh, this yeah. like okay yeah, you're this war veteran, uh, uh, Booker DeWitt, I think is his name. And, uh, you know, he's this uh, alcohol, debt-ridden, uh, World War veteran, uh, not World War, um, I think like of the American expansion. But, uh, you know, and so he's very much like plagued uh, by what he did in the war. Uh, and so the conceit of the game is that there's multiple realities and you're like bringing in aspects of other realities into, into the, the present timeline. Uh, and so the, 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 the climactic moment when you encounter the, the head white supremacist, the, the man who's been perpetrating uh, the dystopia in the sky uh, and kill him, uh, you discover that he's you from an alternate mm. timeline. And okay. so I, I think what's really great about this is that now you've got this like absolute, for, you've got the Freudian trifecta here. You've got the ego, which is the main character, Booker DeWitt, where the voice happens. Uh, you've got the super ego, which is um, the old version of you who's like conspiring to control and uh, censure you. Uh, 
your like father figure that's also you. Uh, but what makes it so fascinating is so like uh, in the end, uh, the the main character himself must die. The theory being like you, Booker DeWitt, are uncurably violent. No matter how you exist in whatever timeline you exist in, your violence will always take over and you'll you'll corrupt what's around you. And so then the player becomes the id. You don't play Booker DeWitt. You play his absolute violent tendencies because mm. the game the game can't be solved without you killing all the bad guys and shooting the guns and so yeah, that's not that's not one of the choices bioshock gives you bioshock's not a um uh not undertale style where like <laughs> the you is you can be <laughs> like you can be peaceful yeah yeah and so but but you know i think that i think that um that's the thing that i like about bioshock uh, in, in both of these examples is that, okay, so I, I only recently played Undertale. I was late to the show uh, and I loved it. Yeah, um, I was late to it too. I played it more recently than that, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, less recently than that. But I, uh, I mean, I was, I was way, way late to it. Um, it is really, really good. I was actually very worried that it would just be all hype and nothing there, but uh, it's excellent. Yeah, I I was really blown away by the charm and the writing that went into it. Um, but also it it did the choice thing well. But I'll finish my thought about the Bioshock thing is that I think uh, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, I think they recognize that there's a certain like hollowness to like these making choice mechanics. Uh, and so like, why not just make the like linear nature of the narrative like the star of the show. Why not make like your inability to influence the plot, your inability to like solve the problems in another way, like, like the thing that motivates the characters and the thing that, that motivates the plot. I think that that's, that's, that's interactive media. That's, that's what a video game can do that I haven't seen happen in another medium. So, I have two questions there, and I think I think you're right. Like, and I think that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, my one question is: so how do you how do you understand the the political? I guess like the political end game of Bioshock. Like, it's a good. It's a. It seems like a solid explication of what's going on in Bioshock Infinite. I'm I, I buy it. Um, how do you understand? Like, you know, there's the Randian critique but is there anything else going on there is there something beyond the randian critique is it simply a critique of objectivism which would be fine if it was just a critique of objectivism but like is there something else there is that like a is it is it that as a as a way in or is there something else that is sort of like deeper and as you said before like your your issue with braid which i think is a, a fair concern um something that ties the um the gameplay to the uh, story in a, in a kind of like um you know, neat imbrication. I um, have been thinking about this question a lot. Uh, after after you agreed to to do this show with me, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, for a little bit to prepare, I was kind of like shuffling through news articles, kind of around the time that the game would have been under development, to kind of think like, well, what were they probably thinking of around 2004 to 2007 or whenever this game probably started? That's reasonable. And um, I don't have a good answer, um, but but yeah, you know, um, four, I guess. 
Yeah, well, you know, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And so I was like, is is there some way that I could like analyze this against the backdrop of war uh, at the time, especially since I do Middle East studies? And it would oh, yeah, be it would, seem, it would seem like a good fit. Yeah, it would have been nice if I could have found a way to like introduce this into my own my own work. Not that this isn't also my work. But God knows if if you had to pick one thing not to shoehorn, um, you know, an, an analysis into, it would be the Iraq War. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> seems like they already did that stuff. But um, you know, and and so I I don't I don't know. I guess is is my my most honest answer. Yeah. But I do think that like you know like that's 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 a good question though. You know, it's like so you've got this game that is. You, you know they're not they're not coming out they're not being subtle they're saying very clearly that this idea of like well uh, i i remember uh, i brought this up in a class uh, of mine earlier when i was citing this game for something else um there's a moment where where you're like listening to the audio log of like one of the engineers and he's like you know you've got all these like brilliant people down here but like you know, without like workers, without people who, who, without an, an organized system of like labor, a fair labor, like it, it can't work. Who's going to fix the pipes? Who's going to unclog the toilets? Yeah, I remember, I remember that log. And then of course, like, it's impossible to not understand that like what the narrative of the game is saying is like, you can't, you can't have a society based around selfishness. People will like, Especially when you start bringing in things like uh, uh, um, transhumanism, you know, like your your this kind of hierarchy is unsustainable and vicious. And I think to to make to so um, uh, her whole thing was like A is A, and and I am my own person, and I can like uh, I can right her. I'm sorry, her being unran, you know. like I define the terms of my own existence. I'm the master of my reality and kind of showing this, this, this game where it's like, no, you are always caught up in a web of, of symbols and plots and motivated by, um, Oh, okay. Here you go. I I got a hot take for you here. Um, (laughs) you know, so, uh, it's kind of like, ah, great. Now I get to get into Zizek. I'm flying by the seat of my pants here, so watch out, commenters. Um, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus talks about like uh, the the end of history and like a post ideological society, and he's like, "That's yeah. such a ridiculous concept. You can't have a post ideological society. What ideology is is the network of like symbols and identities that constitute the way we see the world." And yeah, so, so maybe like pulling from a Southeast there for sure. Right, exactly. And so, like, maybe maybe that's the reading that we should take from Bioshock, Bioshock's message, is that, like, there's no, there's no independent city, there's no, like, independent man. Like, you're always caught up in these series of choices that uh, may at times be made for you, you know, and mm. it's just kind of like, how are you going to interpret this as as a member of society, how are you going to interpret this as like a, a participant in it all and like make and, and, and rationalize uh, the choices and, and uh, make sense of the world 
as as a thing caught up in it. Yeah, and, and and you know that like one of the things that I've I thought about a lot with uh, Bioshock, and it's because um, I had a buddy of mine on here to talk about Prey a long time. Well, not that long ago. Prey didn't come out that long ago, but to talk about Prey and um, sort of discussing Prey as um, a, a shock game. So system oh, very shock. much system shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it totally is. He's right. But um, what I think is super interesting about that, right, is um, is that I'm trying to think how to say this. What I think is super interesting about that is it kind of suggests that System Shock 2 has a lineage with Bioshock. And there's a way to sort of understand it as, okay, Bioshock is um, like Bioshock is this game about individualism from like a perspective of Randian thinking and system shock makes that possible by saying like, yeah, look like the other end of this, where we, where we become like superhuman by way of computers that also goes real wrong. Um, and so like, I, I think like you can argue that these games, particularly as they, you know, forward this sense of, you know, uh, piecing together human existence through just like left behind material um, that they're like, you know, the, the main character in any of these things is just like humanity as such. Yeah. You know, I don't want uh, it to be said though, that I don't think that um, choices are always shallow in games because uh, we brought up a cave, if not cave, uh, I'm thinking of home. Well, what's a, uh, you fall into the cave, you're a little girl, you have to be nice to everything. Oh, Undertale. Undertale. Yes, thank you. It was like uh, Allegory of the Cave? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll save that for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think that that's a great game that incorporates player choices into in a, in a meaningful way. That, that makes you want to choose something or not choose something. And that doesn't just have like a bad ending or well, it does have a very bad ending and it has a very good ending, but it also kind of incorporates like, well, what if you just weren't perfect? Yeah. Perfectly evil or perfectly good. Well, and there's, there's a, there's, I, I don't know if you've, you've heard about, heard this or not. I know we, I talked about it on an, an episode a long time ago about Undertale, but like the, there's even, you know, if you watch, um, if you, if you do the genocide route, um, there's like Flowey at the end will, um, We'll say something like, you know, like, oh, you're just all sickos watching this. Like, you're all complicit it, it, as a as a way of sort of suggesting like the people watching Let's Plays in order to do the the the, the genocide route without doing the genocide route are just as bad, um, which I love. Like, it's it's a great it's a great nod. It's a great understanding of the fact that, yeah, of course, like people are going to want to play this game and see all the endings, but people aren't going to have the stomach for it. Um I did not have the stomach for it. I let's played it. No, no, I, I, I played pure pacifist. Absolutely. And that's always what I do in video games, and especially in a game where it's like, oh, there's a mercy option. Yeah, of course. Like, I'll just, I'll just do this. It's fine. But if I may cite uh, another great uh, choice-ish game uh, that I think does a great job of not having a clear good ending or bad ending, uh, did you ever play the first Deus Ex? Uh, yes, and I've 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 I, I discussed it with a buddy of mine named uh, uh, CJ Fleck, who's a who's a really smart guy, um, and loves Deus Ex. And yeah, it it absolutely is a game that 
gives you those. I mean, essentially, like at the end, you're given three choices, and none right. of the choices are particularly. I mean, none of them are horrible, <laughs> but I guess one a couple one of them is. But like, you could justify any of the choices, I guess. Okay, um, this is this is this is great because uh, there's one ending that I almost always go to. It's like, ah, this is clearly the best option, and so I wonder if the one that I like is the one that you think is horrible. Oh, yeah, I don't actually, I don't actually, yeah. Isn't isn't it isn't there one where you just like you allow like AI to take over humanity? <laughs> That's the one. Love it. Yes. Pick. Yes. Meld us with the machine. Let's all become Borg. Wonderful. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. No. That's that's not the one I pick. <laughs> Neo Dark Age. Yeah. I well, Neo Dark Age. I can see as um, defensible, but it's another thing. Like, um, it's not. I don't know. Anarcho primitivism doesn't work. <laughs> I, I agree. I think I like the computer one because, uh, if I remember correctly, the other alternative is uh, you restart the Templars, but this time they're going to be benevolent Templars. Oh yeah, and you don't you don't buy it. Well, I mean, it's not that I don't buy it. It's just that for me, it's like, all right, let's just let's make let's just make super Templars then. <laughs> cut out the reasonable. fat. That's fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, but no, you're right. Like, Deus Ex is good for that. Um, actually, we had Josh Sawyer on the show to talk about um, New Vegas on the on the Patreon episodes, and uh, and that's another game where like you're basically given a bunch of choices, and none of them are excellent. Like, all of them are sort of like, well, <laughs> you know, like this is okay. Uh, hey, you know, you did your you best. It's funny because um, that has stood for a long time as my least favorite in the series. And I think it's because of that very reason. And I had never thought that, like, maybe that was the point. Huh. Oh, but yeah, that's super intentional. <laughs> How shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's very intentional. And, like, there's, you know, there's the one thing that you can do. And he actually said, like, he, he was like, we didn't do a very good job of make of, like, really explaining. Like, we, we sort of made these guys cartoonishly evil and we shouldn't have. But like, you know, if you do, if you join Caesar's Legion, like, yes, okay, you're, you're a horrible person. Like, yeah, you're, you're, you're a psychopath if you, if you choose that route. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you do? I know. I guess I like Fallout 3. Everybody gets clean water at the end. <laughs> so much clearer choice. It is, it is kind of nicer, I guess. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, it's a funny thing. Like it's, it is. Oh, so here's, this actually leads me nicely into the next question I had for you. The other question I have for you, which was, you know, you brought up and it's something that I definitely relate to, but you brought up this, uh, you brought up the fact that like, um, when you, I'm trying to think how to say this, when you like experienced that philosophy major talking about video games, and it was such a bummer. Um, I mean, this is something that I have felt as well. Like it, it definitely is a bummer to feel like, oh, you know, this is just garbage. Like the whole, I, I wanted this to be something it's not like, I wanted this to be something really cool and like progressive and interesting and like about a thing that I care about and it's not, and, and that can be a real bummer. Um, and so like effectively this podcast is in part my answer to, well, what would I like to have it be? Um, but I think you can't 
hear that kind of disappointing answer and not think that. So like, what would you, how do you want video game discourse to look if not the, the sort of like stereotypical, like a game has done a phil- a philosophy thing. Like let's consider it. Like I'm, I'm, I shudder to think how many papers are being written about kind of subpar David Cage games or whatever right now. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question too, but I think I have a, 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 a clearer answer for it. I think that uh, this kind of ties this kind of ties into a personal belief of mine, which is um, not necessarily original. But I think that um, we right now, as a society, are at a a very significant crisis. Of course, that's not a hot, mm. it's not an interesting take. But specifically, I think one aspect of this crisis is. Um, uh, is, is our, our, our inability to affect like um, a, a meaningful discourse anymore. Like, especially you think of like Trump and this new kind of like post-truth world that we live in, you know, like it really has become standard practice in the media where like uh, the president can make a claim of like, uh, an easy one would be like the the uh, attendance numbers at his uh, inauguration, right? right and sure. even if it's uh, even if it's objective, objective, even if it's obviously untrue, like the uh, the uh, the truth quality of it is immaterial, and the emotional quality of it is is the meaning. And so, the, sure. what the news will report is on that. And I think that this is problematic um, because, like, our ability. Um, to critique media and to like understand discourse and to understand like, well, what, what does it mean when somebody is lying about something like this? Like whether or not it's true, like what's the, what's, what's underneath like, like insisting on something like that or, or fabricating something like that. How in the news media can you address something like this? How is, how is discourse supposed to, supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially since like, you know, you and I are both here on a leftist podcast, and it's yeah. like the media is completely unable to address a leftist concern in any kind of material way. All of our oh, discourse absolutely. is very, yeah, it's very much locked in a like neoliberal capitalist framework, which right. there's just. This is, I mean, this is absolutely what people talk about when they talk about like the Overton window and the way that the Overton window shifted. Um, yeah. I mean, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, like, this is. 100 percent true yeah and, and so um i like I, I i like to consider myself an optimistic person or at least i try to be politically optimistic <laughs> i try not to succumb to pessimism i think it's dangerous if we become pessimistic sure I but agree. um yeah and so um i hate to say this because it kind of makes me sound like an ivory tower sort but i think oh, that weird <laughs> well I, I think that academia is an important I, I know that I, w- I opened this up by critiquing the work of my colleague, um, but I think that it is an important realm where, like, if people are given the opportunity to have an education and are given the opportunity to, like, study what they believe is meaningful and are, like, introduced to, to good method and good teachers at good institutions – uh, that, that, that we will see like good because I mean look there's you and there's me do I think that everybody's doing it well no of course I don't I've got problems even in my own field 
Yeah. But I think that like, like that's a big reason why I sent you an email was because I believe like your project is what I wanted this other student to be doing. <laughs> Thanks. And, but, but I mean, you know, like what you're here to do is to like really think about video games and the context in which they're created and how like their mechanics and their aesthetics and their messages function into the greater web of things. And I mean, like, hopefully climate apocalypse won't kill us all, but if it doesn't, then I think that, you know, people will do the work if they get the opportunity. It's just a question of, will they get the opportunity? Yeah. And I guess that that's my, that's always been my concern about the Academy. I, I, you know, I of course have a lot of complicated feelings about the Academy. And one of the reasons I have complicated feelings about the Academy is that they, the idea of, okay, the, you know, there's a way to do it and like a, a good way and a bad way. And like, you know, you hope that the good way kind of finds its way through or whatever. Like, there are just like, I mean, there are career digital humanities people who will just do it the wrong way. Like, and yeah. you, you will get killed if you, and I, I have, like I've gotten revised and resubmits that say like, stop being so mean to everyone in this field. Um, <laughs> all right. And I was, and it didn't get me anywhere. Like I had to, I didn't even get in that, that journal. Um, it was a fit thing. I don't, it's not a big deal, but like I did get it published and then I got it published by a, a journal that was okay with being mean. Uh, so I kept it in, but the, um, you know, like the, but in all truth, like the, it, it's not even about being mean or like saying like, Oh, well, we have to make sure that everyone knows these guys are idiots or something like whatever. Like the problem is that there are like obvious career reasons that you would, write about video games one way as opposed to another way, right? Like there are right. obvious like material benefits to being like, well, I'm just gonna do braid. Like people like braid. I can, I, I know I can get a thing published on it. Um, I can talk about Mario and like shifting signifiers and stuff. People know what Mario is like. It's not, it's easier. Right. And a academia in a lot of ways encourages ease as opposed to innovation. Uh, particularly as funding starts drying up, right? I was just about to say, especially in the face of increased corporatization in the academy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, like, in some ways, you can't blame them. Like, in some ways, I totally get it. Um, and, like, you know, I, I, I remember, um, I, know, I know I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but, like, my, my advisor was very much not a fan of me writing a chapter on video games, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can do it. I'm pretty sure I can make it work. <laughs> And he was like, all right, we'll go with, go for it. Like, see what, see what you do. I was like, you know, I can be, I can do like digital humanities. It'd be nice to, it'd be nice to include in my CV or whatever. Um, and, and he was like, all right, you know, give it a try. And, uh, and, and when, when I finally got the piece done, he was like, he's like, I don't know. Like I've never read anything uh, in, in, you know, games criticism or whatever. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, this conceivably could be the best piece of games criticism ever written. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Ooh la la, Doctor Strong. Well, yeah, but the I mean, Nicholas was being very kind, but also uh, very dismissive. It, it sort of like clearly just like where he was at with other um, games crit, and like, but like the reason I bring that up is because like it's it's a great compliment, and and I you know I appreciate him saying it, but like what's even better about it is like you know this is a guy that didn't want his student doing games crit and literally one good essay and it's like oh i could see how this would work like that's you're you're basically like 
the the choir you have to convince is is not even all that critical. It's just like you have to produce one essay that, that they that they can look at and say like, yeah, that seems legitimate. Not even good. Just like, oh, it seems like you're doing a legitimate critique. And all of a sudden doors will open. Um, but like, I don't know, like part of me just doesn't think that a part of me doesn't think there's any jobs. In, there will be any jobs in it ever. And then the, if that's the case, then a bigger part of me thinks like, well, you know, good luck. <laughs> good luck ever getting it, ever getting anyone interested in it, you know? Well, I mean, like you're right about that. And that really is the problem is that academia itself is sort of like coming up. Like that's kind of the, the concern with everybody is, is there going to be a job for it? I don't know. Right. But, you know, um, I, you know, so the problem with the, the colleague that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is that what he wasn't doing was philosophy. He wasn't doing like critique. He was doing like a soft analysis of like, here's some interesting themes in an idea or in a, in a work mm. that I think like touch on something that relates to this field. Which, you know, like, I mean, I don't want to say that he didn't succeed. I don't know. He was a master's student at a respectable institution. So he must have been there for a reason. But I don't think that, like, that sort of analysis would really fly with, you know, even that, that, that doesn't even work in, like, an English department anymore. You can't just go in there and be like, well, I want to talk about how this symbolism oh, yeah. uh, reflects on. You know, you have to have a concrete analysis. especially oh, like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, especially in, like, today, the, the, this, today's market. Like, you really have to think about how what you're going to do, like, uh, like ties into – the, the time that it was created. And I think that like, I think you're right. A lot of, a big problem is that a lot of people don't have experience doing games criticism. It's kind of a new field. Um, but you know, it's like, um, Elaine Badu was like, he's like, you know, the, the, the next thing, the future, we're not going to know what it's going to look like. We're just going to have to like go into it, leap in, and we'll figure it out once we start trying to do something. No, and I have the same optimism for video games criticism <laughs> and indeed the world, Dr. Strunk. Well, that's nice. I'm glad to hear that. That's uh, that makes me feel good that there's optimism for the world that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, it has good days and it's bad days. Yeah, of course. I mean, but no, you're, you're, you're right. Like there's, I think, I think, um, yeah, I mean, what, what to say there? Like, I think, I guess the concern is that there's no more room for the academy, right? Like, and and that would be, that's a major concern and, and, and a sort of like, you know, what do we do with, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do if there, if the academy is over in the way we understood it? Like if, if classical humanistic uh work as we know it is is gone and so like you know one option is like well i guess we make more podcasts or whatever right like okay um but i think i think the other thing to say there is is not like well what if what if it's dead forever but like okay so like we appreciate and i'm sort of working through this myself based on what you said but like we appreciate that there are good things and bad things in this world and a lot of bad things that we'd like to change. Um, it's not like the Academy can't be one of those bad things that we then change to make good again. Well, I, I hope that we can. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, devoutly to be wished. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Um, Ian, do you think we left anything out? Um, 
What have you uh, been playing lately? Um, me, I've been playing. I've been playing basically like uh, the Spectacle Simulator, uh, which is um, Earth Defense Force, um, which is ah, oh, forgot about it. So good. Um, it's amazing. It's really really fun. It's um, it's such a weird and kind of dumb game, um, but also in in many ways kind of a perfect game. Uh, it's janky. Uh, because it tries to do so much, but basically you just, you kind of get to feel really patriotic because there's no, you're not fighting any wars really. <laughs> it's right. like a bunch of aliens um, and you run around and shoot giant bugs and uh, robots. Oh, I got a quick question for you on the topic of um, mediums. Uh, have you ever done any VR stuff? I have done a little. I have a, I have a VR uh, rig that uh, someone uh, got sick of taking up room in their house with, and was like, you know what? Like, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of got it for a song, and um, uh, it kind of makes me ill. Um, oh, that's, that's what I hear. It, yeah, it's very it's very cool. Um, it is it is definitely immersive and like a whole different world. Um, I am not sure I am ever going to be able to play a game in it. I haven't tried yet because I'm worried that I will get violently ill. <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if it's just a gimmick or if there's real potential for like some kind of new phase of gaming. I don't know. What's really funny about it to me is that like the people who will most readily tell you that it's just a gimmick are devs. Um <laughs> <laughs> Like uh, any any dev, I've talked to a couple devs on the show, VR devs, and most of them will just say like, "Yeah, like I, I know." Like the one guy, Tom Zuba, who I had on, is I mean, he does he does other stuff as well. He he's mostly he makes his he makes his rent uh, doing writing for the um, the Spider Man iPhone game, but um, or the iOS game rather. And uh, so like he he has a lot of different irons and different fires, but one of them's VR dev, a buddy of mine worked on republic uh with the studio who did republic and they were doing vr and his take was like yeah i don't know dude like i don't know if there's anything here that isn't just a gimmick um mm. i don't know like maybe it is very cool like i i will say like one of the one of the coolest video game experiences i had recently was the tutorial for oculus um, they basically like they stick you in this this funny kind of retro y room, uh, just starts you off so you know how to use the machine. Um, and the funny retro y room has this little robot, it's with a cute little robot in it. And uh, the cute little robot is like, um, you know, they they uh, the cute little robot does like a uh, I don't know, like a, a thing where it's like, okay, um, you know, he's handing you a little disc and you have to take it back and he flies away from you and you have to grab the little disc and put it in and it's a <laughs> little flower simulator but it is very cool <laughs> it is really fun um and like it it is it is very very engaging to be like yeah i can pick up this little machine and i can put it in the disc drive and when i put it in the disc drive uh something happens and then i can pick up the disc and throw it across the room <laughs> like it is it's engaging on a kind of like weird animalistic level. Um, at which point I'd say like, yeah, there's something to it. There's definitely an appeal there. Um, I am unsure if, uh, if 
if the appeal involves like real serious art too, but uh, I don't know, maybe. That does sound fun. I don't know if that sounds not gimmicky. It's super gimmicky. Uh, <laughs> it's just very engaging. Yeah. Well, you know, like um, I feel like I, I, I tend to uh, uh, be more of a Luddite. And to me, uh, this I feel like this informed a lot of my attitude going into Bandersnatch was like, I don't, I don't need this new thing. I got very much absorbed into the medium of television as it was before. And I think I tend to do the same thing with video games where it's like, I, I'm fine looking at just a screen and manipulating yeah. a mouse. Like that's how I can get into it but you know maybe this is me being narrow and someday that'll be the new thing i don't know i haven't ever tried it if it it helps like i i i have a hard time particularly with and and you know like people love it like i think one of the most successful vr things i've heard of has been um uh the the resident evil 7 vr um even more successful i would say than the uh than skyrim vr which i mean like anything Skyrim related is like um, has both it's like extreme uh, fans and extreme detractors. Uh, but like the Resident Evil seven VR experience is apparently terrifying. Like it's apparently excellently done and really scary. And it's like, <laughs> all right. I mean, I buy that. Sure. Why not? Like makes sense. But I also like part of me is like, but that's not, how you play a video game. Like that's just kind of a bad yeah. movie then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't really know what it is. Yeah. I, uh, I get really bad motion sickness kind of related to my PTSD. Uh, like I once went to a, um, a, a float, you know, one of those sensory deprivation things. Oh yeah. I, would, I, I could be bad I, for me. I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. And so I maybe like some of my revulsion uh, to the VR thing is kind of like a, a jealousy. Oh, I'll never I'll never be able to do it. I don't know. I feel like you should not try VR. <laughs> I get bad motion sickness, too. And it's, it, it is not related to PTSD with me. It's just related to uh, my inner ear. Um, but it makes me ill in a way that like lingers. You know how, like, if you're in a yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way to you, you know what I mean. But like, if you've ever been in a, um, if you've ever done like a boat cruise or something that you shouldn't have done, and you're stuck there for like an hour, and you're getting sicker and sicker, and you get off, and it takes you like an hour and a half to get better. Um, every so often, VR makes me feel like that, and I have to question, like, what am I doing playing? It's <laughs> like, why, why did I decide this was a good idea? Okay, controllers and thumbs. I'll stick to that then, I guess. Yeah. Well, then the other thing is, what I've heard is that you, uh, if you actually use a controller in a VR game, like some people love it, but it also for other people it is like immediate emetic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah, a buddy of mine, one of the people I talked to, I think it was Tom, was like, "Yeah, people were complaining when we showcased our game that we didn't have a controller, and like people don't understand the technological limits, which is that like." A lot of times when people play VR with a the controller, they get instantly, like, violently, violently ill. Um, and it's just not worth including as a result. Yeah. I mean, I guess if part of the problem is, like, the lack of 
cohesion between the motion that you're observing and the motion of the body yeah. incorporating a controller might not help that yeah but, you know i don't know about you but when i'm like getting into like uh, like i've been playing a lot of rainbow six lately oh that's uh, so good you mean uh, rainbow six siege yes siege oh, so good yeah, and uh, I'll find that, like, when I'm really in the zone, you know, like, I couldn't, can't help but, like, lean really forward or, like, lean around when I'm, like, moving. So, yeah. you know, I want to move. Well, and, and your brain expects you to move in a certain way. Like, I think, like, I think, and we, we can stop after this because I think, I think we're, we're both getting into our motion sickness uh, <laughs> here, which is Motion fun. sickness podcast. Yeah, it's a good, it's, that's the real motion sickness hours. Um, but no, I mean, like it is, it is like, apparently the brain just gets like really, really upset with you for like not having a, not having a clear sense of like what it's, what, what you're doing with your body. Like, Hey, I'm supposed to be like, the body is supposed to move this way when you do something. And instead of what's happened, instead of the body moving, some other thing is moving, but you've convinced me it's the body. And now I hate it. Like I'm going to rebel by making you very ill. Yeah. Well, um, when they release Bioshock for um, VR, I will play it and come on the show and report dutifully. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, you know, take take the necessary couple of weeks <laughs> over uh, being sick. Uh, yes. You know, you'll finish it, <laughs> and then come and talk to us. Yeah. Well, Ian, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, follow Ian. Um, say your ad again. At the Shizian. Okay. T h e s h i z i a n. And um, yeah, any any forthcoming pubs? Anything? Anything people should be looking for? I'll let you know as soon as they come out. Uh, I got a riff that I uh, thought of earlier. Uh, let us indeed hope, Doctor Strunk, that Pod can save America. Oh, there you go. That's really nice. I like that. Um, that'll, I'll just, I'll just put that on a shirt and hope they don't sue me. Yeah. I, yeah, I would okay, like to get sued by John Lovett. That would be <laughs> not the, that, not the one I like. That's Twitter gold though. <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, I got a bunch of God tier. people got really excited when Sally Albright got va- vaguely angry with me. So. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. She got mad. Um, oh, oh, one more thing. Uh, I read your column in the outline. Oh, like it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, no. If people don't know, I did that. That's a. Uh, I wrote a column about Jacob Wool in the outline from the for their this happened series, which is a, a fun little series they do about like what happened in the last year. Um, I was really happy to be part of that because it is. It's a cool idea for. It's a cool idea for like a retrospective where it's just like, it kind of looks at stuff that people might have forgotten and just like dumb pop culture things and politics or whatever you really want it to be. So uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't. I haven't read all the other ones, but it's always super interesting. So definitely check that out. Um, All right, man. Well, uh, yeah, come on again anytime. This was really fun. I would love to. All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Bye.